he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the richness of those words, the way that Paul brings to mind and brings to our hearts you, the living word. You are first in all things. You are first in our hearts in this place today. So God, we pray that as we look at these words, make the room in our hearts for what it is that you want to say. And God, we pray that you would bless this church, that you have blessed City Temple. We pray that you bless every single person here today. And we pray that you bless Rod and Karen. May they have such a time of refreshing and renewal in their time over in the States. Be with them, we pray. Amen. Amen. I have someone that I've been discipling recently who has spent about a third of his life in prison. And um, in talking to him about... Uh, about kind of not being in prison. He often says he doesn't know how to live in the outside world. He struggles outside of the confines of a prison cell, outside of the structures of prison. Which is really sad, isn't it? You might have heard of the phrase Stockholm Syndrome, where someone who's been kidnapped falls in love with their captors. You might um, think of certain stories that have been in the news of people who have imprisoned people and how much they have then struggled to adjust to the real world outside afterwards. And that's really tragic and really sad. But the truth is, sometimes it's a bit like that with our faith. The gospel is that Jesus has come into the prison of our lives, into the prison of our sin, of our brokenness, of the darkness that we live in, and he has set us free. He has taken us out of darkness into his glorious light. But how do we live on the other side? I don't know about you, I've really struggled with this. And I think I've struggled with this in a way that maybe the Colossian church struggled with this. See, I'm not... um, I'm not by any stretch one of Jesus' most successful followers, but I am one of his most enthusiastic, and I have a go at anything. But I've often just run down blind alleys in my faith. I remember um, when I was about 17, 18 in a youth group, we had this guest speaker come to speak a, a weekend away, and she stood up and she said, if you were spending more time in the morning in uh, getting ready and making yourself look good than you are spending time reading the Bible and praying, it shows your priorities. 
And actually your heart's in the wrong place. And I was really challenged by this. So what I decided to do is to try and get ready as fast as I could. And I would time myself having showers and have the quickest showers I possibly could. It's ridiculous, right? Was that the point of what she was saying? No, the point wasn't to spend less time getting ready, but actually was to devote myself to knowing God. When I first got asked to lead worship, I first got asked to lead worship because literally every other worship leader had left our, our church and our youth group at the time. And um, I was the only one left standing and I was the guitarist and they said, right, we're going to have to put a mic in front of you and you'll have to sing now. And um, I took it really seriously. So I used to, I used to go um, really early in the morning. I'd be leading in our Friday night youth group, right? And I'd go really in the morning and I wouldn't eat all day. I'd fast because I was like, I really want to be in the right place. And I'd get there. And I'd, I'd go to this like, little prayer meeting that we have, and then I'd put out all the chairs, about 120 chairs we'd put out. I'd put out all these, and these big, heavy, padded monstrosities. I used to put them all out by myself, and I used to like pray as I was doing it, and I'd be going for it. I'd be trying to bring revival to those chairs. I'd be trying to lead those chairs to Jesus. I was so intense with it. And then everyone would go in, they'd have lunch, and I'd go off on my own and I'd pray and I'd read the Bible and I'd think about what God was saying. And then the band would come and we'd start setting up in the afternoon and then we'd put, put in projectors and we'd be working out words and we'd be practicing and plugging stuff in. But the thing is, I'm one of those people who gets really hangry, right? So when I was hungry and I wasn't eating, I was just rude to everyone. I used to have arguments with people in my band all the time. I used to be really short. I used to get really annoyed when people were late because I'd been there and I'd been so intense. And actually, all I was doing was making myself angry and worked up before I led worship. And I'd get up, and I'm sure on one level, spiritually, I might have felt like oh, I am making a direct line with God right now. But I was so annoying everyone else that was around me that I was stopping them from being able to connect with God in worship. We often start one way. We start where Jesus meets us in all of the fullness of our messiness. Not just knowing everything that we've ever done, not just knowing everything that is in our hearts, but knowing everything that we will do. We often start there and then carry on somewhere entirely different. We start with this sense of the radical grace of God. Oh, God has met me in my mess and has rescued me. And then when we feel like we've missed the mark or we're feeling a little bit guilty, we struggle to pick up our Bible, we struggle to go to church, we struggle to pray. And the Colossians, um, the Colossians seem to have been going through something similar. They'd met Jesus in an incredible way. And yet, what they were trying to do was to add on extra things, to add on extra layers, to add on more things to make it more clever to help them. Um, unlike some of the other letters that Paul has written, Colossians is not written to a church that Paul uh, planted. Paul is writing to um, a church that was planted by a guy called Epaphras. And one of the reasons that he knows Epaphras is through some of his other missionary journeys. But it seems that Paul, as he writes this letter, is in prison, and Epaphras has come, and he's kind of responding to this church's goodness and to what he hears about Epaphras and sending this letter. Actually, another reason why he may have written this letter is because he written the letter um, Philemon at the same time about a runaway slave. And Paul is writing to this slave owner to receive a former slave back as a brother. It's a really incredible story which he can dig into in another way. But Paul is kind of writing to this 
group of people who have come to faith in God and then have started to add on other things. Add on other things. And Paul is saying, Jesus is better than that. Paul would say to me in my teenage kind of earnestness that missed the point by a million miles, Jesus is better than that. We looked last week, didn't we, at the life of Paul. Paul, on the one hand, was Saul, named after the first king of Israel, a Pharisee of Pharisees, trained under the world-famous Galileo, Gamaliel, this like, incredible teacher, this guy who led whole squads of people around persecuting the early church. He's clearly someone of religious influence. And yet, when he encounters Jesus on the Damascus Road, he doesn't major on that. In fact, he says he considers that as refuse. He considers that as rubbish. And he majors on his other identity, Paul, which means tiny. Someone who was a canvas worker, who worked with his hands, which was, was a low profession which people looked down on. And he went around and he didn't charge a big fee as a visiting speaker. He didn't gain loads of followers that kind of supported him and, and offered him comfort as he went around. All the things that actually he was probably due as a great teacher, as, as a wise, learned man. Instead, he worked alongside people, using his hands, and he took, on, he took on weakness. He took on simplicity. That was the way that he decided to live out the gospel. And there's something of that message of Paul, of that life of Paul, that comes through this letter to the Colossians. As he puts front and center who Jesus is, he's looking all the things that they've added. They've gone down the religious route. If the Colossians were Paul, they wouldn't major on the Paul part of his life, the tent maker. They'd major on the Saul part of his life. Um, I read a commentary that said there were there are probably about 42 different theories of the heresy that the Colossians were believing in. And there's loads of different fantastic ideas of what was it that they were adding to the gospel? What was it they were turning to next? Ideas of being obsessed with how angels worship and trying to join in with the angels in worship. Ideas of following the law, of being like the church in Galatia, of actually going down, you need to be circumcised, you need to follow the law in all these ways. Other things, of, of maybe there were worship of other gods that had special rituals and they had mysteries. And if you took part in these rituals, you would suddenly gain new knowledge about God. You would learn new words and new things. And actually, Jesus was spoken about as another mystery. But actually, Paul here says, the mystery and glory is in Christ alone. You don't need to add anything else to it. And actually, that mystery and glory in Christ alone is in us. See, often we respond to the gospel by wanting to build our complex theologies by wanting to add on lots of rules and now shalt nots. We want to add on to the, to the joy of the gospel by having this earnest thirst and hunger to push and prove ourselves. And actually, Jesus doesn't offer any of that. In fact, Paul's message in Colossians is richer than that. He says actually that all of those things, that the religious acts the rules, the laws, the mysteries, the, the ways of worship, the things that we can seek out, they're a shadow of Jesus. The reason why people are drawn to them is because they're a shadow of something that is true. But if we're the ones who have the body that casts the shadow, 
why would we not look to the body directly? Why would we not look to the body directly? Faith doesn't need masochism, doesn't need us to punish ourselves, doesn't need us to fast our way to righteousness, doesn't need us to strive our way to righteousness. Faith needs us to cling to Jesus, to discover more of who he is, of his character. So in this wide open space of the gospel, how do we live? How do we live? See, I think the challenge is that when we consider the person of Jesus, he gives us a real different way of walking, a real different way of living. When I think of the central saviors, the central figures of other religions, I think of Moses, right? What an incredible figure he was. He meets with God. He sees the glory of God in such a profound way. He has to cover his face from his followers. He leads an entire nation from slavery into freedom, into taking a new land, into, into a sense of place, into a sense of this is what you're about. And he brings the law from God and says, right, this is how we do this. When I think of David, incredible king of Israel, rich and wealthy and powerful, and he has all the external signs of this is what being part of God's people looks like. When I think of Buddha, who dies with hundreds of followers, who dies with wealth and renown, who says, this is the way to freedom, this is the way to life. When I think of Muhammad, who shortly before he died, conquered all of Arabia, who died a wealthy, affluent, powerful man. And then we think of Jesus, who dies naked, dies broken and he comes through the other side and I think it's one of the most glorious things about the resurrection there's such a glorious truth in the resurrection there's such a there's such a, a magnificence and massiveness to it but at the same time Jesus only goes and shows himself to his disciples if I was Jesus I'd go straight to Pilate I'd go straight back to the Pharisees ta-da Look what you tried to do. You couldn't do it. But Jesus, he's different. He's not trying to offer us wealth and status and place. Everything that came before, everything that comes after is a shadow of him. It's a shadow of him. So how then do we live? Well, we're going to look a little bit more at that next week when we look at Ephesians, but... There's some beautiful stuff in the book of Colossians that I just want to pull out. And maybe you could go off and read it this week and, and think about some of these things. See, first of all, Paul talks about living in a way that isn't bound by restrictions and rules, but is a way that is you living out the new self, putting to death the old self and being something new. Paul talks about how we should live in homes and families, how husbands and wives and sons and daughters and servants and masters should relate to each other. Because actually, all of those things come under Jesus, come under the headship of Jesus. Paul talks about us living lives overflowing with love, living for a different kingdom, about us being prayerful, alert, thankful, eyes open because of the mystery of Christ. Because the gloriousness of him lighting the path. And I love, it's in this book, Colossians, where Paul kind of expounds the mystery of Jesus that he says this. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think, final thought, I think we're in an age where you can pull out your smartphone and you can find a million podcasts of people far more clever than me talking about the Bible, where you can find worship music daily that is incredible, is beautifully written, is profound, is deep, is amazingly recorded. I think you can find channels on your TV where there is so many people clamoring saying, oh, and this is what Christianity looks like. And there's so much packaging that we can add on that sometimes when we have a thirst, sometimes when we're in this wide open space of the gospel, when we're in this space of freedom that Jesus brought us into, we can seek for those things. We can thirst for those things. And actually, for all of my jumping about through the book of Colossians today, the message is simple. Go to Jesus. Go directly to the source, not the shadows. It's amazing that in an age of Christian consumption, Christians are hungrier than ever. That we're starving. That actually we're, we're full of all the wrong things. We're obese, but we're malnourished. We have more worship music more sermons, more amazing churches than ever. And yet, as Christians, we're hungry. We're desperate for Jesus to break out in our lives. And as we look in this mini-series at what it is to live out the gospel in our lives, I want us just to feast on that. That actually, actually, it's Jesus himself who is the center. It's Jesus we come to. We don't need to chase after the latest teaching, join in with the latest program, We just need to learn to come to him. Next week, we're going to look a little bit more about about how we do that. Let's finish by praying together. Why don't you stand with me? Jesus, be the center of our hearts. Jesus, be all in all to us. God, I ask that you would richly bless every person in this room today. That the reality of all that you are would permeate every single part of their being today. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And we'll see you next week to finish off this little mini-series.